everyone. Welcome back to an episode of Lighthearted. My name is Anna. And my name is Bracey. And we're two average gals chatting about what it means to grow and thrive in our daily lives. How are you? What's going on? I'm pretty good. Um, we got back to the West Coast on Saturday. And I can't tell you how nice it feels to be back in our own space after three and a half weeks in other people's spaces. Our apartment feels bigger and brighter. And it's just been really nice to get back into our normal routines. What's been going on with you? Well, we actually needed a soft cone for our cat. And Seb found this one that looks like an avocado where the pit part is (laughs) the cat's head. She is so cute. I can't even. And so now we just call her our little avocado. That is adorable. Yeah. Why we're absolutely going to post a picture of this on our Instagram. (laughs) Um, Why did she need the soft cone though? She's been licking like on her back obsessively. And like, we know it's not fleas or anything like that. And so we think it's actually like a nervous habit or some sort of like compulsion. And so we're right. we're putting her in the cone for a little while to see if we can cut her habit out. Has she been trying to get it off or like still trying to oh, get yeah. it back at all? Oh, no. Nah. She doesn't like it. The only thing that she does, I think, like about it is that it it's like a little neck pillow. So she can like lay her head on it and sleep. It's so cute. She's ready for a flight. She's I mean, ready. yeah, she's she got looks a built-in neck pillow. She looks like she's lounging most of the time. <laughs> That's really, really cute. It's so funny. Yeah, it just makes me think about that Subway commercial that came out a few years ago, where they were obsessed with avocados, and these two women were like challenging each other back and forth, being like, "Have you met my firstborn son, Avocado?" <laughs> that's that's gonna be you guys. Yeah, I mean, she's ready for her debut. Yeah, Subway, call us. <laughs> Um, how have you been growing this week? Well, I actually decided to go ahead and start that human design training, reader training. So oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, so I'm a little ways through that. I think there's like almost three days worth of content and I'll probably spread it out. I've been doing a little bit at a time. So I'm excited about it. It's a lot of content that I already knew, but I feel like I'm looking at it in a different light because before I've been learning about human design, mostly through the lens of like my personal design, but now I'm looking at it as like, you know, being able to read somebody else's chart. So that's been fun. Is it mostly like videos or readings or? It's mostly, it's mostly videos. It was originally an in-person class and they released the recording of it. So there's like additional worksheets and PDFs and stuff, but most of it's just watching the presentation. Okay, cool. I'm so excited because I I know that whenever you've read my human design chart, we talk a lot about how there's so much to it. Mm-hmm. It's so, It can go so in depth. Yeah, there's a ton of information. And one of the reasons I'm excited about learning this more in depth is I want to be able to pull partnership charts. So I could pull you and I and see how we work together, especially on things like this podcast. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see like what holds true and maybe what parts of this partnership we haven't gotten to yet and might help us navigate that. Yeah, for sure. And it's been interesting too, because I've been looking at it a little bit in terms of what our dynamic is in our ladies night group as well, because there's so many of us, there are, we're pretty much totally defined. So there's just a lot of, we bring each other a lot of different pieces that we might not necessarily have without other people. Oh, I love that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, how have you been growing recently? Um, 
I actually have two ways this week. One is that I started my gratitude journal that I talked about on the last episode. I got it, um, the five minute journal and I was really excited to start it, especially because in our ladies night the other week, our friend Hannah talked about having given this type of journal as a gift to somebody. And they had recently reached out to her after six months of using it or something like that and telling her like, this changed my life. Thank you so much for this. Yeah, that was crazy. I know. So I, I think I have very high expectations now that I'm going to be a completely different person in six months, (laughs) but. um, I mean, I hope that that's true, but not too true because I like who you are now. So (laughs) I'll just be a more grateful person in six months. So I'm, but yeah, so I'm pretty excited and I, it was cool to walk through the beginning because it, has you fill out a commitment page and then it has you write down like what you think potential obstacles could be to you filling this out. And I like that it did that because all the things that I could think of that would keep me from doing it are not real obstacles. If I can't take four minutes out of my day to fill this out, then that's insane. Like I absolutely have four minutes. It's like they're having you call yourself out on your own issues. Absolutely. And then it makes you write down like an action plan for each obstacle, like how you can avoid it. So yeah, it's been really nice. I've enjoyed doing it so far. And then the other thing is that every day this week, Monday through Thursday so far, Taylor and I have gotten up at 630 and gone and worked out in the morning. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's the first two days I was like super into it. (laughs) And then Wednesday and Thursday, I was like, I'm really sleepy. Yeah, but it's been really good. It's been I think it's made me have a more productive day and my mood has been better. So it's been good. Overall. Good. Well, speaking of journals, I actually found this one journal that is an anti-anxiety notebook. And I feel like that's perfect for our topic today. It is. And we might have to get it. Have you bought it yet? I haven't. It says that it's a cognitive behavioral therapy based notebook and gotcha. it helps you track your emotions and become more aware of your thought patterns, which that those are things that I journal on anyways, but I felt like it might be a cool thing if anybody was looking for a notebook specific to anxiety. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll have to check that out. All right. Do you want to kick us off on our anxiety journey? Sure. So I was not aware of what anxiety was, I don't think, until shortly after college. I feel like that was kind of the time when I found people who were in therapy and I feel like Instagram started to kind of kick up more information about anxiety. And so that's when I kind of wrapped my mind around the concept of having anxiety and realized that I had it myself. And anxiety is not something that you really notice until you have the words for it. Totally. And while I've never actually seen a therapist or been medicated, I think those things are awesome. And I am a big believer in at least talking to somebody about your anxieties. So I guess when I started thinking about myself and in relation to possibly having anxiety, it was at a time where my work was stressful and it was also during that time period where I was really associating my work with my worth. And so I was having a lot of thoughts about like imposter syndrome or like, what if I get fired? Or like, what if people don't think that I'm doing enough or that I'm contributing enough or that I'm good enough at my job? Which is so interesting that you would have those thoughts because I feel like you're one of the most productive people I know. 
Thank you. That's such a compliment for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting because I, I know that people have anxiety in different places in their lives. And like, I've never been the person to have anxiety in like my romantic relationships. Like that's just a place where I feel very secure. But I guess in my work, I don't necessarily. And so I'm always trying to prove that I'm good enough. And so that results in anxious thoughts. At one point, I had a panic attack at work. And that was actually a culmination of some stuff that was happening in my personal life and the fact that I was really stressed at work. But the crazy thing is, like, I didn't even, I didn't even really know what was happening. It was like my chest got really tight and I had tunnel vision and I kind of felt like I couldn't breathe and I got really hot. But I don't even think I told anybody. Like, I think I just kind of moved on. Like, it wasn't a big deal, which was kind of my MO back then, like, brush it under the rug just to keep busy and keep going. Do you think at the time, like, you recognized that that was a panic attack? Or do you think you were just like, oh, that was weird, and I'm just going to keep moving on? I think I knew it was a panic attack. I just don't think that I – I think I dissociated from the fact that it was important that I had a panic attack or that it was, like, maybe not a good thing that I had a panic attack. Mm. Yeah, maybe, like, one of those situations where if you were to tell somebody it becomes real – And now you have to address it. Right. I did a lot of things back then where I would just make it seem like it was not a big deal and like push it under the rug so that Mm -hmm. if I downplayed it, then other people wouldn't think it was a big deal. Yeah. Is this your first time sharing about your panic attack? No, I've talked about it before. It just like when it was happening, I didn't want to be like, oh, I had a panic attack because I knew that everybody would like make a big deal about it and be like, you need to take a break or whatever. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. (laughs) And then after I left that job, I went into a job that was actually even worse work-wise and culture, and I was miserable. And that was the worst my anxiety has ever, ever been. I was like crying in the stairwell every day, and it was terrible. Yeah, that Um, sounds awful. Yeah, it was bad. And it was honestly one of the periods where I absolutely should have been seeing somebody, but it was a situation where I was too nervous to take time off work to see somebody. Yeah, like it's like, oh, if I take care of myself, then everybody at work is going to think I'm slacking because I'm taking an hour once a week for myself. Right, yeah. And taking that hour once a week would have triggered my anxiety really terribly. Totally. I bet there's so many people that feel that way, that Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, I can't leave my job for an hour a week to see somebody because either stigma associated with that or they're like, I'll be more nervous to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it is for me, at least. It's like, I can't sacrifice this time and putting myself first would make me a bad employee and things like that. Mm. But then I guess at some point I I started looking at my childhood through the lens of anxiety. And I realized that I've always kind of been just an anxious person. Generally, I remember when I was little, I thought I was just shy when I didn't want to like talk to strangers or have an interaction where I didn't know what I was doing. Like once I remember my mom sending me somewhere with a check to like pay for something for her. And she like taught me how to write a check, which I feel like is a good skill for a person to have. So like good learning experience, but I was panicking about doing it wrong or like having the person tell me I messed up. And it was just like one of those situations that absolutely shouldn't have been anxiety inducing, but it was for me. Do you think that your parents would describe you as an anxious person? 
or like as an anxious child, maybe? That is such an interesting question. I don't think my parents had the tools to know what anxiety was either. And I think that if they had, then all of us would have been better off. I had a conversation with my mom once and I don't even think she realized what anxiety was and like that I had it. And I think having that conversation with her made her realize that I was actually panicked in certain situations and she had no idea. Um, and on the flip side, I think it's possible that my dad has these, has very similar anxious thoughts to me just based on his past behavior. And mm-hmm. I don't know that he's ever thought about it. Yeah. Your dad's probably just walking around with anxiety and has no idea. I mean, I w- wouldn't be surprised. Do you think it's because mental health in general has just had such a huge shift maybe in the last decade as it's not as stigmatized and it's something that we feel comfortable or at least more comfortable talking about and that wasn't what it was like for your parents growing up? Or do you think they maybe had some awareness of it but felt uncomfortable themselves talking about it? I would say that they probably didn't have much awareness of it at all, but I do think there is a lot more stigma for their generation too, which is a shame. Mm -hmm. I Like our generation... Our friends, we talk about therapy all the time, and it's not a big deal in the least. I actually feel like... It's encouraged. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we would rather somebody be in therapy than not, I guess. Yeah, um, definitely. And yeah, I don't think that's the case, even still with the, their generation. I don't think that they're open the way that we are about it. Yeah, I agree. I think there's definitely been conversations with my mom about, yeah, my anxiety and my mental health in general. And she's always so blown away with how serious I take it. And is so like, because proud it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Oh, I just, you know, I love that you're getting help and trying to make yourself healthier and all of that stuff. And it, yeah, it just always seems like such a foreign concept. And it totally is. I remember having a conversation with her once about it. And she was saying like, you know, when she grew up, it was kind of like, suck it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was That's the message. Pretty such much. a shame for them too. I know they're really missing out, I think, on the benefit that we have of growing up in a time when it, it's it's encouraged. It's not as stigmatized. Yeah. Yeah. So those types of situations with the social anxiety when I was younger, I feel like really centered around like my mom had a gift store. And so having to greet customers and interact with people I didn't know or with people who I knew and I couldn't remember their name. I had so much anxiety. Actually, I still have anxiety about that. Let's be honest. That is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that's kind of where my social anxiety started, at least. Well, and your mom is a bit of a social butterfly, isn't she? She is, yes. Do you think that, because my dad is the same way, he can talk to a brick wall. And I just wonder if there was some type of like comparison happening for both of us, maybe with those those parental figures of like, oh, they're so social, they're so good at it. And maybe like, withdrawing into ourselves more because we were like, oh, I I can't do that. I can't be that charming or whatever it is. It it absolutely is an incredible skill that she has. I think that I don't think I felt like I was withdrawing or comparing. I do think that I felt like there was a certain amount of pressure for me to be like her when I wasn't naturally like her. Totally. and that Mothers was and daughters. Yeah, and that was that was tough because I didn't want to be shy, but also pushing myself not to be shy was very very uncomfortable. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, what about you? Tell us your story. I mean, honestly, ours have a good amount of parallels in that yeah, I grew up thinking that I was just shy and now when I look back on a lot of situations from my childhood, I'm like, "Oh no, I was just very anxious and didn't realize it like I have always really hated public speaking." Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm really bad at it, but it's 
more that I just get so incredibly nervous, like used to feel sick to my stomach when I knew that I was going to have to talk in front of people, like the days leading up to it felt awful about it. And I remember one time in seventh grade, everybody in our class had to give a speech. And there was only one other person who like did probably as badly as me. He, his voice cracked on like the fourth word, and then he just burst into tears and it was terrible. I know, so sad. But whenever it was my turn, I got up there and I like, put my elbow on the podium and put my head in my hand and started twirling my hair and was reading as quickly as I possibly could. My eyes were getting blurry with tears and I was just trying to get through it, but it was a horrible, horrible experience. Yeah, I totally get that. I actually have terrible fear of speaking as well, but I took in high school, I took a theater class in college. I took public speaking to help myself. I thought maybe like, Oh, I'll, take these classes to like figure yeah, out how you're to like, do I'll grow out of it. Right. It did not work. It was no. absolutely not the right thing to do. Yeah. You just put yourself through torture basically. Yep. Yeah. The other thing that I think about a lot when I was a little kid, I would get homesick before I even left the house for a sleepover. Wow. And it's interesting to think about too, because I can't think of like a negative experience that I had at a sleepover in my life. But I had this one really good friend. She's still like one of my best friends today that I would sleep over at her house. And I the first few times it happened, it was fine. And I did it. And it was and then all of a sudden, I just started to get so homesick. And I could literally see her house from my back porch. Wow. And I was super close to her family. Like, I don't know what it was. I would love to be able to go somewhere deep in my mind and figure out like what I was so afraid of happening. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that's a big one. And then yeah, like you said, like I didn't know what anxiety was until I was older. I started going to therapy when I was 26 for just like a lot of personal events that all happened within like a few months of each other and was like, okay, I really need somebody to talk to to like sort this stuff out. And then it became more about anxiety. And it's just it's funny to look back at your life through a different lens and see what it is. Yeah, for sure. And so a lot of my anxiety is around relationships. So romantic relationships, friendships, my family relationships, I have a ton of anxiety about that. Um, I want everybody to be okay. I want to manage their experience so that everybody is always having fun. Or otherwise, I like internalize that that it's because of me is why they aren't having a good time. That's hard. Um, Are there any times where that anxiety, those anxious thoughts aren't there? Like, I can imagine that's got to get exhausting because you're almost always in a situation where you're interacting with somebody you're in a relationship with. So are there times when like those anxious thoughts are there and aren't there? Or is it all the time? I would say if I know that everything is going well, and people are having fun, I don't think about it. But I've always been an observer. And so it's really easy for me to pick up on any slight difference in the way people are acting or the way they're talking. And so I feel like I can just feel it when people are not happy. Yeah. And then I can't stop thinking about it. And I'm like, oh, why are they upset? Why are they not having fun? Are they mad at me? Blah, 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 blah. Like, It honestly is a very selfish anxiety. I can't feel okay if everybody isn't okay. It's super codependent. I That's funny because I feel like I can also pick up pretty easily when other people aren't feeling great, but I don't ever necessarily associate that with something that I'm doing. So it's like, it's the same feeling, but I don't have the anxious thought attached to it. Yeah. We're like, we're processing it differently. Right. And a lot of my anxiety is very physical. And so I'll get somatic symptoms 
when I'm really anxious, like I'll get headaches or my shoulders will be very tense. And the one that, yeah, the one that has come up for me in the last couple of years started when I was in grad school and I would get this pain in my side, like near my appendix and it would just pulse. And I, it took me over a year to realize that it was anxiety. Um, I went to the doctor when it was first happening because I was like, okay, do I have appendicitis? Like, is it about to burst at any moment? And I don't remember them asking me any questions about my mental health. You know, like Mm. they knew I was a student and they, you know, just pushed on that spot and had me take some tests and all kinds of things and everything came back normal. And I didn't have any other symptoms of, you know, I think when you have appendicitis, you like basically have the flu and your stomach really hurts. Mm -hmm. It went away after I was done taking my finals and then it came back at the end of the next semester, the first few weeks when I was I just had a lot of work to do, but it was weird because I wasn't consciously connected to that. Like I didn't feel super anxious, at least in my mind about getting this work done. Yeah. That's, uh, that's crazy. It's especially crazy to me that your doctor didn't even consider that it might be some sort of mental cause, yeah. but Western medicine's got a long way to go, I think. Yeah, definitely. It was just kind of like, all right, well, all your blood work's normal and you're not puking. So I'm just going to send you on your way. And let's yeah, you're just hope fine. It goes away. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's good that I know that because now when it happens, I know that there is something going on with me that I'm not paying attention to. Yeah. That's crazy to me that it starts for you in your body. That's not a sensation that I have. Um, usually for me, it's almost exclusively like mental loops. Mm-hmm. What do your loops look like? Well, it, mostly it's just like an irrational amount of overthinking. So there's a lot of self-doubt and should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Mostly should I be doing more? Am I not doing enough? Yeah. Usually there's some sort of like kind of, I wouldn't say this is a physical pain, but like kind of a pit in your stomach feeling. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like it happens to me where my anxiety kind of sneaks up on me. I would say at this point in my life, my anxiety doesn't necessarily cause me problems at all day to day, but it happens sometimes where I'll have a couple of bad weeks and I'll be irritable and just maybe not feeling great, like a little bit off. And then I realize that it's it's anxiety and that my thought loops have kicked back up. The other thing that I don't think I mentioned is that a lot of my anxiety happens to be around like saying something stupid or looking stupid. So that's part of where the social stuff comes in. Like if there's somebody else involved who might see me as like dumb, that triggers it as well. Yeah. I can give a big retweet on the feeling like you said something stupid and are worried that people now have this awful opinion of you based on this one thing you said. Yeah. I also have this ability. I feel like I don't say things, say stupid things often, but I feel like, I feel like I put my foot in my mouth sometimes and it's like, it's either totally fine or like big foot and big mouth, which then kicks up my anxiety times 10. I can think of, yeah, several situations where you've come to me and been like, why do I do this? Why did I just say that? And yeah, in my mind and from my perspective, I'm like, I don't think it was that big of a deal, but yeah, your anxiety is like, alarms are going off. What an idiot. That's what it's The spiraling starts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I have a good bit of spiral thinking too, especially around if people are mad at me or if they're talking about me or 
just having any types of negative thoughts or feelings about me is so hard for me to reckon with. And I remember one time in therapy when I was talking about it and my therapist was like, okay, well, what if you are being annoying? Worst case scenario. Yeah, absolutely. It's like that seems like the worst possible thing that I can ever think of is that. And I think what it boils down to has a lot to do with my Enneagram too. Like my core fear is that people are going to leave me or they're not going to love me. And so I'm so terrified of that happening. And the other thing too, I've noticed recently is that I have started to question my own feelings and that'll be a spiral loop. And so like if I go to somebody and I'm venting about something and they don't validate those feelings, I'm immediately like, oh my God, why do I feel that way? I shouldn't feel that way. I'm being mean or, you know, it can get worse than that, but. But your feelings are your feelings and they're always valid. Thank you so much. <laughs> you're the, you're the person I know that I will always validate. My I hate it when people don't validate me to the point where sometimes if Seb is not validating me when I'm having big feelings, I'm like, I need you to validate me right now. Please validate me. <laughs> Look at you. You're so good at asking. Uh, I try. Well, have you ever had a panic attack? I have only had one that I think I would classify as a panic attack. I feel like I've probably had like minor or like lower level panic attacks many times. But the one that I can remember vividly was when I was in college and I was taking a final. So I'm really noticing a trend in my schooling mm-hmm. <laughs> is a big anxiety inducer for me. But it was a class where it was just your midterm and your final, and that was your grade. And so for me, if I didn't get an A, like that automatically meant I was stupid. I put a ton of pressure on myself to get good grades. So I had been studying for several days, like almost nonstop. Like I would stop to eat and go to sleep, but that was pretty much it. I wasn't doing anything else. And when I sat down to take the exam and they handed me the test or the blue book or whatever it was, my mind just went completely blank. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't remember anything. And I started sweating and my body was completely tense. My heart was racing. I started to cry. Like, And it was the first time that I'd really felt that. And so I was, yeah, pretty much panicked. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. But also there was no way that I was going to get up and be like, hey, I'm freaking out. Like something's <laughs> wrong with me. Like I'm not going to tell anybody that. Yeah. So I just was like, okay it's okay. Just calm down. Just take some deep breaths. And after a couple minutes, my brain was able to turn back on and I took the test and it was fine. That's incredible that you were able to bounce back. Thank God. Yeah. (laughs) I'd probably still have anxiety to this day if I had done poor on that. (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a scary feeling. Yeah, for sure. Well, what do you do nowadays to manage your anxiety? Um, I mean, therapy is a big one. I started seeing somebody again in Portland about a month ago and our sole focus is pretty much my anxiety and trying to figure out better ways to manage that. Mm -hmm. But I would say too, like going on a walk or just doing something to kind of get out of my head can be really helpful. But I did recently start thinking about having to strike a balance between being okay sitting in some uncomfortable feelings for a little bit versus just immediately trying to fix it and get out of it. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. And so trying to live in that gray area instead of things being black and white, which is not super easy for me and probably a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, Journaling has also been helpful to me in the past, but I am incredibly resistant to it. And I remember one time when I had journaled my feelings, I think maybe as a challenge from ladies night, 
actually. I was like, I can do this for a week. I'm going to journal when I either, I don't remember if it was every day or if it was just like when I'm feeling like I need to, but yeah. then I would go back and read what I had written and then it would just like completely uptick the feelings again. And I remember when I told you that and you were like, no, 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 <laughs> don't reread your feelings. Yeah. That is not the purpose. Mm-mm. That's that's actually what stopped me from journaling for a long time because I felt like every time I went back and read anything, it was so embarrassing. Like the thoughts that I had put on the paper were so embarrassing. Now I don't feel that way, but yeah, I would not encourage rereading until yeah. you are more comfortable with it. It feels very dramatic for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think sometimes if I'm feeling really brave, just telling somebody out loud like what I'm thinking. And what I'm feeling because it kind of loses its power and it's a good reminder that all your thoughts are made up. Like Mm -hmm. everything you think is just totally made up from nowhere and it doesn't, they're not always true. Yeah. And our thoughts are so repetitive and I think it's just incredible the fact that we can actually actively change that. And I totally agree. Talking about it makes it so much better. Like I think that I have the tendency to get stuck in my head and then at some point I hit a breaking point and kind of just really need to release a lot of that verbally. And I end up talking a lot and sometimes yelling a lot at at Seb about, you know, whatever situation it is, not because he's upset me, but because I just need to like, be mad for a second. Mm -hmm. And then I feel so much better afterwards every time, but I forget to talk about it all the time too. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird, because it's like, you think at this point, we've thought so much about our anxiety and giving it so much attention, we would be kind of masters at mm-hmm. managing it. But it's, it's just so hard. So, it's so far in the back of your brain that you don't always see it, which is why establishing those habits to examine your thoughts is it's so important. Yeah. Um, are there ever times when you are feeling anxious and you know that's what it is and you know the things that you should do to manage it, but you just can't? Oh, for sure. I think sometimes too, my anxiety now sneaks up on me. And it's like, again, it's like a a couple weeks where I don't really realize what's happening. And then I'm like, oh, crap, maybe this is anxiety. I almost have to watch for just like general feeling bad. I think it's the same thing as like depressive thoughts. Like if I can manage looking at when I'm not feeling my best, I have the same set of practices for kind of all scenarios. And so I just have to identify it first as the hard part for me. And then sometimes I do think that with my anxiety, inertia is a problem for me. So like, I just have a hard time getting up and getting going on some of those processes that I know help me, which for me, Mm -hmm. that those are things like going for a drive, getting out of the house, going for a walk, uh, or even taking a shower. Like, I know you love to take baths, but like for me, a shower is like the best thing. Yeah. Helps me clear my mind. And then also another practice that is probably my go-to is putting on some music and dancing because just like you said, anxiety sometimes is so physical and to move those feelings out of your body, it's what an embodiment practice is. If you've heard of that, it's just like dancing really, really helps me. Yeah. I feel like the first time that I heard about that type of practice was from watching Grey's Anatomy when Christina and Meredith would dance it out. Yeah, but I pro- they probably didn't even know what they were doing. Like, they probably didn't even know that that was what was happening. Yeah. Like, 
you know, they just wanted to dance and it made them feel better. But to me, it's like, it does make me feel better, but also it is about moving that energy and that stuckness out of my body. Um, And I think that's why a lot of people exercise as a means to manage their anxiety, because I think it helps with the physical parts. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, how are you feeling now that this episode is coming to a close? Were you anxious coming into this anxiety focused episode? I was not actually. I feel like this, the podcast in general has made me anxious in the past, like the first few episodes recording them was really anxiety inducing, but I feel like now I know what to expect. So things have been a little bit better. What about you? I was definitely anxious coming into it. I think it's it's similar to when I sit down to start my therapy session each week is I immediately get pretty anxious because I know I have to talk about myself. Mm-hmm. And that is not a practice that is comfortable to me yet. But yes. now that we're winding down, I'm like, okay, it's fine. I feel a release of of it. So it's good. I also think that for me, the episodes where I take a good amount of notes on what I want to say, I feel much more comfortable. But then if I don't do that, and I start to talk, and I don't know what I'm going to say, that's like, I put myself in that situation where I feel like I'm going to say something stupid. And so that's Mm -hmm. where my anxiety is kicking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We would absolutely love to hear about your journey with anxiety. Help us feel less alone. Um, you can email us at likeheartedpodcast at gmail.com. Or find us on Instagram at likeheartedpod. Thanks, y'all. Talk to you next week. Bye.